Oh, you know, Nolbabalu Kutwa, the evil that men do lives after him. Do we ever get out of this nonsense? I'm not sure. But let's talk about the abuse of Ganeshi orders. You know, I I have heard of this thing for so many years and I'm still shocked that uh, we still have people abusing the Ganeshi order. But for, for the benefit of our listeners, what is a Ganeshi order? A Ganeshi order programs um, in simple terms. It's when you have debt and um, the creditor or whoever you owe mm-hmm. has decided to get a court order to get their money from you through um, your salary. Mm-hmm. So it's a court order that would go to your employer yeah. and um, ordering your employer before you get your money in net, that is. Yes. There is a certain amount that needs to be deducted from your salary. Mm. So in essence, that's what a garnishing order is. By the time you get paid, the creditor has received their money in installments. Wasn't this ruled unconstitutional at some point? So what uh, So what brought this particular case mm. um, was a group of workers, Ares and Cape, yeah. who were garnished, but when they looked at the garnishing orders, those were taken in Kimberley. Now, the whole point of a court process, any court process for that matter, that you appear in court and defend. So if you are called to appear in Kimberley when you are in Western Cape, how are you expected to appear? Yes. So that was um, the biggest discrepancy in this particular issue that brought about this particular judgment. Mm. And also um, what we have seen, mainly um, the main problem again, in South Africa, when it comes to garnishing orders, was that a lot of consumers were taking home 43 rands, net pay, no. 250 rands, zero at some point. So you work the whole month, it garnishing orders left, right, and center. At the end of the month, you literally have zero. Hmm. And so that is why then consumers decided, you know what? Let's take this matter up because uh, at the end of the day, we are being done under. Yes, we understand we owe, but surely it is not meant to cripple us when we have to pay back debt. Would, would a situation of somebody ending up with a 43 rent at the end of the month be a function of being over indebted, maybe having too many uh, creditors, or... Could it be a situation of one creditor taking all of that money and leaving them with 43 rent? What is the normal case? So the normal case would be different creditors, mm. um, whereby they are just doing it in Jebaya Zenzela, put it that way. Yes. Um, but we've also seen that consumers would have multiple garnishy orders. So you'd find it's 3,000 rands and 2,000 rands and 800 rands, but it's the same debt. Mm. It might come and appear as, you know, sort of named and worded differently, but it's the same debt. So we've seen situations like those as well. It's the same debt, but they are running um, different transactions 
on one consumer, but mostly it would be different creditors. When a creditor goes to court uh, to seek a garnishy order, is it is it given that the, the, the court will issue? Look, um, in most cases, yes. Now, another problem that came about was that these garnish orders were issued by clerks of the court, whereby um, files and files would come through and clerks would just stamp these garnish orders and off they go. Now, this ruling now says it needs the oversight of a magistrate. Mm. Because first of all, Rams, who says I can afford a 3,000 rand deduction off my salary every month? Mm. What makes you decide how much I must pay at the end of the day? And if you make a decision as a creditor A and creditor B also makes their decision and creditor C also makes their decision, surely something is broken mm-hmm. in that process. Yeah. And, 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 and we saw that creditors would just submit that application. There's no oversight, judicial oversight, to see where other processes followed to try and actually collect these monies owed, or is it just a bullying tactic? And that is why this matter, again, they sat down and they said, you know what, we need to relook at this matter. We need the oversight of a magistrate who's going to take into consideration affordability, who needs to take into consideration where you're working, where you live. You know, were you given mm. notice to go and appear and defend Gala? You know, yeah. how much of your salary is being deducted? Yeah. Because again, there's a cap, you know, um, to say garnish orders, whether it's one or ten, cannot exceed 25% of your gross um, income per month. Of your gross, so not even your net? No, your, wow. your, your gross. Okay. Okay. Yes. And so, so those are the things that, you know, came about to say we need to take these into consideration when an, uh, an emolument attachment order is issued or better known as garnish order is issued against consumers because because of these garnish orders. Uh, so you may be one of those Abandaba Pelayo because of Ikanashi orders or Superlil already. Do call us 089 Let's try and hear your story and see where we can direct you to find a solution. Disclaimer, we don't claim that we're going to give you a solution that's going to favor you sometimes. Of course, you're going to have to uh, do the right things to get us, yourself out of trouble. But uh, do call us on 89 before I take a call, and we already have a caller, Nolbawala. Is there, although, I mean, in all of this, I, I, and I'm not defending the creditors, mm-hmm. there has to be a liability on my part and where we also just overextend ourselves in, in credit and we end up in this situation. And I'm not excusing Kanishi orders. Mm. Look, we, we are like that, runs as consumers. We mm. hear a consumer say, let me just go and try. Mm. You know, when a consumer says, let me go and try, they know their situation financially, Mm. but they are willing to squeeze themselves. And so, yes, we put ourselves in these situations. 
But what we are addressing here is the abuse thereof. Yes. The abuse of the garnish orders. To say, while we understand that when a consumer owes you, it is your right to collect Mm -hmm. and find any means possible to get your money back. Because the consumer said, I can afford it and I will pay you back at a particular time. And I agree to the terms and conditions. I agree to the interest that you are charging me and all these other fees. Even though the consumer has said that, we are saying the abuse must stop. Okay, let's take calls. Anonymous is the first caller in Pretoria. Good evening. Thank you for calling. Please ask your question. Uh, good evening, brother. Uh, I just want to ask something quickly. Mm. I have a, a loan and a car finance, but I was employed properly. Now I'm unemployed. And I, I, I called my uh, finance for vehicle finance and told, told them I'm no longer working and I need to uh, surrender the car. Then they advised me, they said, if you surrender the car now, you will have a problem uh, of they will sell the car and you will still have to pay a certain amount. Mm. Rather wait if you get a job. So six six months down the line, I'm still unemployed. Even the loan, I told them uh, that I, I have this problem of unemployment. Now I tell them, how can I... Um, how can they help me w- uh, with the insurance and all those things? So they said, we have insurance for your loan, for your loan provider, but you need to submit the details. Then I'll send them in. They never have, they never get back to me. Then after two, three months, they call me and say, hey, they, we're still waiting for the payment. Mm. Then I said, I told you guys I'm unemployed, and I submitted my document. Then the lady said, okay. Uh, again, after some few weeks, a few months, they call me again, and then they say, no, my documents are incomplete. Now, I need to know uh, what can I do, because now, they told me now that they are incomplete. Now, when I send the other one, but the loan is already in areas. Yeah, you're in areas now, and you're going to pay interest. Then I still have to pay the interest Mm. in all the areas. Why did they wait until all that time uh, before they they tell me that I still uh, owe this? So, I don't know how can we get help through that kind of uh, finance issues. Okay, thank you for the call, mate. Listen on the radio, we're going to get to that one shortly. Vusi is in uh, Dube. Good evening, Vusi. What's your question? Good evening to you too, sir. Um, I happen to have invested into a business. And in investing, I also became a director. And I had equity. The business, when I invested, it was not doing okay. I've asked for financial stuff, but just to cut the story short, mm. uh, I had hope and I believed into the business. Hence, I eventually, I invested. And as I said, uh, I had assumed also directorship. Yeah. A year and a half later, the partner comes to me and tells me, listen, things are not working out, and I'm concerned about your investment. So he said all those things he knew at the back of his mind that he's, he's got a plan B. Mm. He was now talking to other people to come and invest. And I got papers to resign as a director. I got papers to uh, basically uh, saying that, okay, the conditions are that whatever I've invested, they will pay me to the cent. Mm. 
We went to the lawyers, the lawyers drafted, and then we had an agreement that all the creditors, the other partner will take care of of the business. Yeah. So to cut it short again, I got paid whatever I invested into the business. Mm-hmm. Without obviously interest, I didn't want to fight and go further in terms of the interest and stuff like that. However, I've just figured out now that I am now blacklisted. Mm. Now, I'm not aware of any creditor that I owe. Then, when I investigated now, I just happened to find out I'm blacklisted due to directorship that I assumed into the company that I invested into. So the guy who was running the business, because I was primarily an investor as opposed to running the business. Mm-hmm. But you are so, a director, yeah. Correct. Yeah. So now uh, it happens that, okay, they were not paying their creditors, mm. and including myself, because obviously I'm a director. Mm. You know? So that's how uh, I got uh, blacklisted. So now moving forward, I'm, I'm in the process tomorrow too, to go and understand, and because I figured out who is now blacklisted me. It's a company who used to be one of the suppliers. Mm. So I need to go there and approach them as to how then do I move forward legally so that I take off my name from being blacklisted, if you understand what I mean. Yes. That's my story. Vusi, thank you very much for your story. And uh, Nolbabal, I'd like us to start with Vusi's one. We'll go go to Anonymous secondly. And before you answer, I I, I, I seem to remember this rule of, uh, of of directorship where people are individually and severally liable for for debt could it be the situation where he finds himself that every director will then be personally held responsible for this mm. debt that they hold on other people yes so mm. you know it it's unfortunate because we always advise people before you go into business understand the person's financial health before you go into business with them, meaning both of you put your credit profiles here. Mm. Credit bureaus have the intelligence of even giving a score of the likelihood of a business failing in the first two years. So those are the kinds of research Mm. people do because um, at the end of the day, Whatever you do, when I personally, in your personal capacity, you the health of the business as well. Mm. So you find that when they do a credit check on a particular business, they will see who the directors are. If the directors or the director is blacklisted, that information will pull through in the business credit report. Mm. So what I do want to say um, to the caller is that What's important now here is to, number one, get um, the business profile and his personal credit profile. And secondly, understand the dates of the listing. Mm. Because you might find that um, um, it's something that might have happened after he withdrew his directorship. And also what's important is that if this business, the annual turnover of this business, was less than a million rands per annum, mm-hmm. right? The annual turnover yep. being less than a million rands. It means that he now, the, the laws of the National Credit Act apply to him. So if it's a default, for example, 
stays for one year. After one year, it falls off automatically. You know, he can also dispute mm. um, that listing if he okay. feels it's easily disputed. So, 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 but the most important thing is to get that report to understand what's going on. We are also there to help with if, if it gets a little bit complicated. Yeah. If, if, however, he finds out that this uh, uh, debt was owed mm. during his time as a director, he's got no, he's got no escape. No? If it was owed during his time, then it makes him also responsible mm. for the debt. You know, unfortunately, because yeah. what the, the mistake that we do as business people is that we blindly enter into partnerships with what we don't know, mm. if I can put it that way. Um, the first caller, Yes, right? Anonymous. Yes. The first caller, I do want to point out something called credit life cover or credit life insurance. Usually when people lose their jobs, when people are retrenched, um, they want to give back cars and give back this and that and the other. When you give something back to the bank, like the car, for example, Mm. it's called repossession, right? Mm -hmm. And usually what happens there is they would sell the car, because in his case it's a car, sell the car, Whatever shortfall there is, he will still be liable for that. Mm. It will be listed in the credit bureau negatively, which is what we call a blacklisting. Mm-hmm. So, and he will still be expected to cover the cost. When you lose your job, you take that retrenchment letter, you take an affidavit, you go to your creditors, and you go and claim against the credit life insurance. Like any other insurance, Nobody's going to claim for you mm. to go and claim on that and say, here's the retrenchment letter, here's an affidavit, I'm claiming credit life cover or credit life insurance. It usually runs for about six months, sometimes 12 months. Some credit providers would say, if you still have not found a job in six months, come back again with a new affidavit Mm. with that same retrenchment letter. Some would say after 12 months, if you still haven't found, come back again, make a new affidavit to say, I'm still unemployed, here's the retrenchment letter, and here is the affidavit. Because when we pay these installments on a monthly basis, part of that installment goes to credit life cover. Those are the things that consumers don't really look mm. in, into, in, into when we read our contracts. And so I urge this consumer to actually speak to the credit provider and mention that I'm actually now here to claim on credit life cover. I'm not here to, to negotiate a lesser installment or a pause or a halt or whatever. I'm here to claim on credit life cover. Good. We take one last caller. Uh, Simon in Pretoria, good evening. What's your question? Good evening, sir. How are you? Good. What's your question? Uh, my question is to come in a story where I also have a problem 
I'm stuck, in fact. Uh, a trader contacted me, then me and the guy, we agreed it was cheaper. But then, what we agreed on that, I'll call in two times in a month so that I check if they know where my car is, if the trader is still, go, is still on. Mm. And then the correspondence will come in a way of an SMS. In a three or four months, I never got the correspondence. Then I realized, no, I'm dealing with this thing that is not going to help me. The day my car is stolen or I checked. So let me rather cut them. So then I went to the bank, I cut them. But then it means I cut the contract while it was was still uh, uh, on probation or whatsoever, according to them. Then they waited for about seven months. They contacted me, but you have not been paying us for so long. So we want... One point, I think it was 1.4. I said, then 1.4, they explained to me, I said, it's fine. How do I pay? Because I don't have 1.4 in cash to give. So can we break it into three or four months to pay it? Then they, told, they gave me a number to call to organize that. But that number, when I go, when I tried to go through it, it's showing my item. Then I decided on my own to break it into three months. I paid into three months. I received no calls. And I thought, no, this thing it was sorted out. Then eight months down the line, I get a call now that after I paid that money, I was supposed to call in to cancel the contract so that the 200 mm. and something run for that mm. contract is not going on. So now that 200 and something went on, it's on one point something again. Then I must pay it again. Mm. I'm receiving uh, letters from their lawyers and everything. But then I said, okay, I'm in Pretoria. Give me your offices where I can go with the deposit slip and everything. And then that money that you want, I actually have it, but now it looks like I'm going to pay you until I die then. Then they told me the offices are in there then. I said, yo. So what I want to know is, can the tracker blacklist me? Because, because my fear now is... Mm. Uh, I think we lost everyone. Our lines just went dead. Sorry about that. Uh, but we got the question. We will get... Uh, Nolubawalo back to respond to that question and conclude our conversation. But before I get her back, let me just tell you this. The SABC editorial policy draft is now available for final public comments from 12 July 2018 till 1st of August 2018. Download your copy on www.sabc.co.za forward slash editorial policy or grab a copy at your local SABC office. Deadline for submission of comments is Wednesday, 1st of August 2018. The SABC editorial policy. Grab a copy and have your say. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm glad we've got you back, Nolba We're going to conclude this. I'm sure you got the issue even before the cutoff. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I, and I've heard about this one a million times. So how do, how do we solve this matter? It is important to always cancel in writing. Mm. The telephone calls that everybody claims are recorded, when you need them, they are nowhere to be found. Mm. Always cancel in writing. The mistake that we make as consumers, we pay something up. Even if you paid in full, and I'm talking even accounts now, consumers pay something up. People say, I've paid this credit card in full, but now a couple of months down the line, I owe. The fact that in their books you are a customer 
there will always be a fee you are expected to pay. Mm-hmm. Handling fee, whatever they want to call it. The fact that they are holding a certain record or a book that has your name, it comes with a fee. And that fee piles up because at that point in time, you're not seen as a defaulter. But after a while of not paying, they will then contact you and say, you have not paid for a particular period, therefore you owe. So I want to say to consumers, when you pay something up and you don't want a relationship with that provider, cancel it in writing. Yes, the consumer can be negatively listed in the credit bureau. They must check their credit profile. It is available for free once every 12 months across all the credit bureaus. There's 14 registered, by the way. Um, So they must check to see if that information is there yet. They can dispute it if they feel it's unfair um, on whatever basis, whether it's basis of not being notified of the intention to be blacklisted. They can dispute it. But I urge the consumer to cancel in writing and say, I'm cutting all ties, I'm cancelling this, I don't want this But is that not unfair? You know, these guys make us take contracts telephonically. Why can't we cancel them telephonically? <laughs> I get you, Rams, 100%. And that is why, again, for your own benefit as a consumer, I, I understand it's unfair. There is no rule that says just because you took it telephonically, you you can cancel it telephonically and not in writing. Also, the reason why I'm saying in writing, Rams, there's a paper trail. Mm. Whereas, yes, you can cancel it telephonically. I'm not saying you can't. But if the credit provider says, uh, we don't have record of you canceling it, then what? How do you prove it? Mm. Whereas if you have paper trail on your side, then you've got a leg to stand on. And that is why cancelling it in writing is best for you as the consumer. Because the system sometimes is not really on the side of the consumer. I think it's never on the side. But my dear, so how do people then contact uh, the ombud, those that called and those that could not get through when they have other issues? They can phone us. Our number is 0861-663-837. Consumers who say they would like us to call them back, um, they can send us an SMS. They can write their name or they can SMS the word help to the number 44786-44786. Or they can send us an email with their documents. You know, sometimes Rams consumers just say, I don't have a problem with the amount that I'm paying on the garnishment order, but look, it's valid. Oh, oh, the cell phone has failed us. But the details are there. Uh, we're giving them to you. They're on Facebook. Metro FM Talk with Rams. I'm sorry your phone failed us. This time it was yours. It's the mobile phone. Uh, but thank you very much. And that concludes Rams and Sense.